Okay, so welcome to another episode of Pegasus Radio and another episode of Meet the Boss. Today, I am joined by Alison Woodley of Plowman Craven. Welcome, Alison. Thank you. So, Alison, would you be able to start by just giving us a bit of an intro to you and also Plowman Craven and what the business does, where it operates, etc.? Yes, sure. So, Plowman Craven is a uh, multidisciplinary um, consultancy. Mm-hmm. We tend to specialise in surveys. That's what most people know us for. So we're over 50 years old and for most of our 50 years, our core business has been delivering measured building surveys, topographical surveys and working with clients on um, sort of, you know, the early part of a, of a development project. Okay. Um, we also uh, do area measurement for lease plans and we do monitoring surveys. So over the years, we've really extended our involvement in schemes and we're now involved in every stage of a project. Right when it comes to measuring and geomatics, but also we've um, extended our service offerings. So we do building surveys and we have an environmental division now. So we do a lot of environmental monitoring. So noise and dust monitoring and that kind of thing. So we can get involved in various stages of a project. Okay. And is that across property and infrastructure? Property and infrastructure, yeah. Yeah, so we've got, yeah, that's right. So we, our business is kind of divided into two, quite quite simplistically, really, and there is a property side and there is an infrastructure side. So we have a dedicated rail team because, you know, they need certain expertise and permits and passes. Yes. And we also have a dedicated BIM team, but that kind of sits across both property and infrastructure. So, you know, the expertise kind of lends itself across both sides of the business, really. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. And what's your role within the business, Alison? So I am senior account manager. So I head up the sales and client relations process, uh, mostly for the the property side of the business. But again, there is crossover because the clients I look after work across both of the sectors that we work in, really. Yeah. So it's up to me to find the next big thing right? because what we're good at and what we like to do is work on the big schemes and the big projects. Mm. So I'm always looking for what what's happening next. And so I will bring in the work and I will kind of oversee that from a project sponsor point of view, be the client's voice in the business and uh, make sure that everything is going to plan. So I will write the bid in the first place. Mm-hmm. I will often meet with the client and, yeah, just make sure that everybody is happy and that we're doing what we've said that we're going to do. Yeah. And, okay. um, yeah, just manage the, the client's expectations and manage our team inside to make sure that we're delivering. Fantastic. And you were saying, I think when we spoke earlier, Alison, a lot of that is kind of big regeneration schemes or master plan schemes. Yes. Yeah. So that, and and that's what we really like. So we're urban regeneration experts. And so we have worked on some of the biggest regen schemes in the country and our our flagship project, I would say, on the regen side has been King's Cross. Right. Yeah. Amazing scheme. Yeah. Yeah. So we started working there probably 15 years ago for Network Rail. Okay for the um, actual station upgrade and this was before even Argent were involved yeah and then Argent came on board and obviously because mm. we'd surveyed quite a lot of it then you know we started working with them and we've mm. sort of measured and surveyed oh, every square inch now of King's Cross and yeah, we've yeah. been models and topo surveys and it's great because when we started working there 15 years ago it was a real no-go area I think. Mm. Nobody ever oh, absolutely yeah, yeah yeah very exactly. dodgy part of town wasn't it <laughs> yeah it really yeah. was yeah. And you, know, you go you go there now and it's just a massive sense of pride 
sort of looking at those buildings there and yeah. going to those bars and restaurants and saying oh, we measured that and yeah. it's just a lovely place to be oh, it's an amazing amazing scheme it really mm. is yeah, it's, it's fantastic and so like you say things like that so you you i don't know if you are but you get involved in things like you know kind of water and brent cross and those kind of big big all areas of right, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome yeah all of those so we've been working on brent cross um we spotted that uh well we got on that scheme in about 2012 right and so we surveyed from the bottom of the m1 all along the north circular and the shopping center and all those car parks brilliant yeah i know and the thing about brent cross i mean when to look at it it's uh it still looks the way it did back in 2012 Mm. i always talk about king's cross because it looks different and absolutely yeah. yeah yeah I mean, Brent Cross is going to be incredible when they get rid of Staples Corner and you no longer have to negotiate that terrible road network around um, when you go to the shopping centre. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's fantastic, isn't it, when you see these kind of places change. Like you yeah. say, King's Cross is just, uh, just a completely different place now. You know, I think That's right, yeah. I used to think of the, the car bunker, what was the front of uh, King's Cross Station before it all got yeah. levelled. That's a you know, station now is in its former glory. It looks, it looks amazing, doesn't it? Stunning, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, both King's Cross and St Pancras. Oh, indeed, yeah, both of them, yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And so with your hat on, Alison, of, of looking at those future trends, where where do you see the big opportunities, I guess, in terms of whether that be sector or, or locations over the next, I don't know, 12 to 18 months? Well, in terms of sectors, mm. um, there is, we are looking at quite a lot of um housing regeneration schemes okay and it's not just those big schemes now because, mm. I mean, you talk about, Brent Cross and you know Elephant and Castle we worked yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are probably fewer of them than there yes. were kind of you know ten years ago. Yeah, okay, yeah, and makes sense. A lot of, yeah, so what a lot of local boroughs and councils are doing now is looking at small sites. Mm. So a few years ago we worked with Croydon. They identified seventy small sites in their borough. Right. Things like garages and bits of waste ground yeah. that were kind of building. You know, between sort of two and 20 um, units on okay, yeah, yeah. and there's a there's a lot of boroughs that are kind of following suit there now so um, small sites are quite a big thing that we're looking at so bits that kind of spread out really across the borough also other sectors that are kind of housing or regener- regeneration related uh, healthcare obviously mm. so we spotted that about a year ago when um, the government announced the billions into uh, investment in hospitals so building mm. 60 hospitals and also upgrading about 46 more yeah and you know that is kind of even more pertinent now really because mm. It's obviously needed because of what's happened this year. So the healthcare sector is going to be big for us. And we've very much seen that. Uh, So we Mm. kind of shifted our focus about a year ago towards looking at healthcare. Schools is another big one. Yeah. We had previously been looking a lot and working a lot around universities. Right. They seem to have less money to spend now because, Mm. you know, people are, well, because of the, because of COVID. Mm. They are suffering a bit, universities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And still a very uncertain future, unfortunately, in, in, the, in the short to medium term anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so they're facing challenges that schools aren't. And it had been the other way around until mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. So um, we're seeing that the government has put more money into uh, into schools. So the Department for Education, the Private Schools Building Programme, there's more of that sort of coming out in the Free Schools Building Programme. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we've been working a lot in the education sector. So we, you know, we, we 
work in every sector really and that's kind of why we've been pretty successful over the years because we haven't had all our eggs in one basket and we can work in both public and private sectors and being able to establish who's working where and how we can work with them. Yeah, definitely. And that's my my experience generally over doing what I've done for 20 years and seeing the ebbs and flows of recruitment. You tend to find you've got almost two types of organisation that do well, either the ones that are very niche and, you know, just really go for a big slice of the pie in the sense that they're very good at, or those that are very diverse and, and have a widespread of clients across a, a widespread of sectors yeah. so that so they can they can ride the you know the, the ebbs and flows of the economy in essence. That's right, yeah. 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 And having the ability to look at what sectors are going to be buoyant yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what are not. Mm, yeah. So I guess do you support a lot of I guess there's lots of central and local governments who have got you know estates that they need to rationalize, and that could be the NHS, I guess that could be a network rail that could be the MOD. I guess there's there's lots of them must be sat on banks of land or or buildings that they they probably can't do a lot with or or maybe need to release. I guess maybe in JVs with developers to to move that along. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so it's good to kind of um, get on those big frameworks. So a few years ago, we did a huge uh, portfolio for the NHS actually, and uh, all we did then was uh, sort of lease plans and title plans and okay. uh, boundary surveys, so that they right. could just establish what they had in terms of area measurements because yeah. they had a massive property portfolio, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. They literally didn't know how much square footage they had. So we did that, that was a few years ago, and that's the sort of thing that we can help big sort of public sector organisations with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously a lot of the projects you gave examples of earlier, Alison, we're all kind of very much in London or the South East. What are you seeing in terms of the trends regionally and in some of the other big cities outside of London? Um, a lot in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. So we set up an office a couple of years ago in Birmingham because we saw so much activity there. Yeah. Obviously, HS2 is mm. um, going to be going there. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, incredible. So, you know, you go to Birmingham and it's just there are cranes everywhere and the yeah, whole yeah. is being built up and built out. Yeah, I think very buoyant up in Birmingham. Yeah, quite exciting. That and Manchester, the two, the two that seem to be very busy yeah, outside of London. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And Leeds, we found my hometown is not is not not doing too bad either. Actually, interestingly, so yeah, okay. it's good to see that we're obviously seeing that that spread come. You know more. I guess equally, then you look at uh, you know places like the northeast. There are there are massive swathes of land that could do with being redeveloped that are just unfortunately yeah. kind of rel- relics of a of an old industrial time, which you know could really do with you know seeing the northeast boosted. It's, it'd be good to see if that starts to come to fruition over time. Yeah, that would be good. We've done less in the northeast, really, than in the mm. northwest. I mean, I have a vested interest in Liverpool with it being my hometown. Yeah, so yeah. I always have kind of one eye on what's happening there. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we work quite a bit up there. So we did a big BIM model of the Albert Dock, which obviously I love. And yeah, yeah. landmark buildings up there as well. And why do you think, why, why do you think maybe developers and investors have, have not traditionally you know, chose to go outside of London and looked at some of the other, other cities. What, what do you think the, the logic has been there? You know, it's just been a return on investment as, as opposed to what they can get elsewhere? Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, the, I think there's been a realisation that, uh, you know, people go there, people go to Birmingham and they go yeah. to uh, Leeds and Manchester yeah. and Liverpool. So there's has been kind of less of a, slightly less of a London-centric uh, yeah. attitude. Eight, well, the, the promise of HS2 has probably helped mm. Undoubtedly, I think HS2 is definitely going to, you know, hopefully part of that levelling up agenda. If, if we do see that, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see what comes happens, of that. Yeah. So, what what are what are Plowman Craven's growth plans? Would you say over, over the next uh, two or three years? Well, because of COVID, really, 
we're going to be playing it safe. Yeah. And I think it is kind of, you know, the less risk. And so we know what we do well. Yes. And that's what we're really going to focus on. Yeah. And so there are no there are going to be no massive, massive changes in terms of new services or anything. Okay. But we are going to be playing it safe. Yeah. We know, like I said, we know what we're good at and we know yeah. um, where we can thrive. Mm. And it's going to be more of that, really. Yeah. Good. Okay, perfect. And so that will be what you think will be some growth, but just in a, in a managed level, I guess? Yeah, certainly for the next year. Yeah. Um, and plans beyond that we will just have to see we know I think in six months time we'll probably have to sit down and reevaluate what's happening yeah definitely I think uh, I think certainly some commentators I speak to you know are are worried that 2021 could be more challenging in some ways than 2020 exactly uh, yeah yeah so it's just difficult to plan beyond um, beyond the pandemic yeah yeah definitely okay no perfect so Alison, as we discussed, I think one of the main reasons I was keen to have a chat with you and, and not just yourself, but, but other, you know, kind of inspiring female leaders is, is just to discuss that whole question about why there are not, why there is a more diversity, I guess, in in the construction industry as a whole. And interestingly, you were telling me you've, you've recently completed a dissertation on uh, on that very subject. So do you want to just tell us a bit more about that and, and you know, what was that part of and, and what your thoughts are about what we need to do to, to change the dynamic in the in the uh, in the industry? Yeah. Well, I decided to go back to university because I, although I did a degree when I left school, it was in American studies, which made me good at pub quizzes, but (laughs) particularly career enhancing. So I I went to um, a university of Hertfordshire and I decided to do a BA in uh, leadership and professional development. Okay. And um, it's been really good. It has been, you know, it's, it's, changed how I think and um, it has made me a better leader. Brilliant. And so for my dissertation there, it was a work-based research topic on, you know, I I chose to do diversity and inclusion um, at my business. It was a study of policy and practice, obviously for the rationale and, uh, you know, in context, I was looking at diversity and inclusion in the real estate sector. Yes. And to see how we apply that here at Plowman Craven so that we can sort of create an action plan and, and make some strides i suppose and okay. help you know do, do our bit for, for the sector mm-hmm. so what did you find from that what were your what were the kind of conclusions you reached from that as to what the industry needs to do to change uh well i mean you know the the roots for the inequality i suppose um the roots go far and deep and mm. cultural and social norms have been handed down through generations and social background and expectations of families and other social pressures have really played a part in creating okay. gender inequality mm-hmm. and that you know some aspects of gender inequality have been created to maintain power you know on a on a wider sort of social level mm-hmm. in terms of work access to jobs and recruitment and job adverts kind of favor men because in a male orientated uh, environment like uh, property and real estate is mm. it can be a numbers game so if you're recruiting internally there are more men to choose from I suppose yes. and they've yeah. generally worked here longer so they have the experience and the longevity which kind mm. of you know puts them in a better stead for internal promotion really mm. so mm. that is kind of what perpetuated the issue I suppose mm. 
things like workplace flexibility and promotion opportunities, that all needs to change. And there certainly has been quite a bit of that. Mm. The pandemic actually has helped that in a way because it has highlighted the the stark inequality, I suppose. I mean, more women than men have shouldered the burden of childcare during lockdown. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, there have been many men who've been working from home that didn't work before and have kind of, you know, have a bit more of an understanding and a bit more of an understanding of the benefits of flexibility, I suppose. And I guess, you know, I speak to a lot of men who are less keen on going back to work full time because, you know, they like dropping their kids off at school in the morning Mm. and they see those benefits of flexibility. So hopefully, you know, although the pandemic has highlighted that inequality, it will force companies and the industry to make some changes one of the challenges has been the lack of role models at senior Mm. levels Mm. and so there are you know there are many young talented high potential women who think that they can't get very far because they don't see um, people like them at the top yes and so um, in terms of what needs to change we've looked quite a bit at a mentoring program okay. so that talented women with potential can reach those upper echelons. Mm-hmm. Companies just need to challenge the rationale and the stereotypes and address any unconscious bias. An inclusive culture is key to this because people can build strong relationships with those senior leaders who can act as career sponsors yes and um so organizational culture is really important okay. and internal relationships really matter because mm-hmm. um if you're a a woman at a relatively lower level yes. how are you going to get that access to those men in the senior level who can who can yeah. work with you and yeah, yeah yeah and that's where culturally businesses need to understand that and um, yeah, yeah. you know and it'd be genuine and it'd be genuine as well i think alison is one thing i think there's a lot of for me, some of what frustrates me, some of the some of the things that are touted by various businesses, you know, certainly touting the kind of CSR kind of um, flag, you've actually got it's got to be genuine, hasn't it? It's got to it's got to be meaningful and not just an exercise to look like they're doing something. Yeah, completely. Yeah, so it needs to be it needs to be cultural and it needs to yeah. come from the heart. Yeah, and it needs to be because you want to do it and yes. not because you're ticking the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, it needs the senior leaders to kind of really understand the, mm. the benefits of it and mm. not just look at it from I mean we need to gain an equality we need to gain equality but actually look at what the benefits of a diverse organization brings and mm. the differences in how people think mm. and how you get the best out of people mm. when you're putting the best in yeah so yeah you know that commitment to uh, diversity from the most senior level needs to be systemic rather than just ad hoc yeah how long do you think that will take to change? Because some of the some of the things, some of the stats I see. Well, to put, let me put it a different way. I, my, my, I've got two daughters who are who are twelve and nine. I think they already see life through a different lens from from a whole host of things. They're a lot more understanding of you know different people's choices in in life more more yeah. than my generation I think were. Um, yeah. And I don't feel that they feel they've got the barriers that maybe women who are my age, I'm, I'm mid forties, maybe, maybe would have had earlier in their career. So I'm, I, I'm of the opinion certainly that they won't have the same, generally speaking, they won't have the same issues going forward. And that's because of a lot of the great work that a lot of people have done to push that. Yeah. But then you see some reports and to say that the, the, the equality thing won't really 
kicking, I think, I've seen numbers into like 2050 before it would really be balanced between male and female. Yeah. What's, what's your take on that, Alison? I don't get the impression it's as far away as that. I'd hope it's not anyway. I, I hope it's not as well. So mm. I hope that we can achieve equality sooner than that. Mm. So, but it's how you get there, really, because yeah. there's a bit of an argument about quotas and targets. Yes. I don't think anybody um, would suggest that quotas are better than targets, because if you have a quota, then a woman who kind of reaches a level because of a quota I, you know I wouldn't be happy with that I'm thinking no. that I've got there just because I had to be a number however with targets it's more aspirational mm. and the, it's a more organic way of getting to those numbers really because you are kind of it's what it's what you want rather than what you have to do yes so I think that is a more positive and a more constructive and progressive way of getting to equality yeah because one thing we do have, and this may be seen as slightly controversial, but one, one issue we do have logically is that there, unfortunately, by the virtue of historic events, there are not enough females with the right level of experience, probably capable of doing all the senior roles that, that exist out there. It's just just, just too small a number, unfortunately, at the moment. But it's making sure that now we change that dynamic going forward so that in another, let's say, 10 years' time, that will no longer be an issue. Would, that be, would you agree with that? I would, to a degree, yeah. I would. I might also argue that um, people sort of understand or put the set the barometer of merit in a, in a certain way, yeah. and so it's not just kind of the traditional sort of requirements, if you like, of experience or um, abilities, yeah. but kind of look a bit wider about what a more diverse board would bring really mm. so you might be looking at kind of empathy and more emotional intelligence yes um as sort of prerequisites for a job uh, and put as much weight on that sort of thing as you know, the traditional job mm. requirements yeah which go which going forward arguably should should be shouldn't it at the end of the day yeah. I think, um, we're all realizing that aren't we at the end of the day if we don't have that you know if we don't embrace those kind of elements then then the machines will take over what we do at the end of the day we've got to um We've got to embrace empathy. We've got to embrace emotional intelligence, which uh, you often you look at most of the best leaders in the world, male or female. Uh, they, they're often ones who have that in spades, aren't they? So we have to adjust yeah. and, yeah. and recognise that more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and sort of promote self-management. And, you know, I've, I, I looked, I read about that a lot for, for my degree and, mm. um, you know, looking at sort of transformational leadership and the need to kind of employ emotional intelligence and help people to or sort of understand what motivates people and work mm. with them to kind of realize their potential yeah what do you think we need to do going really right back to grassroots Alison because one of the, still one of the I guess the issues the industry has is that it just will not attract enough diversity maybe right back at school level you know it's, it's, it's maybe not seen as an industry. I don't think either of my daughters are thinking about construction, which I bang on to know about it. I don't think either of my daughters even have that on their horizon as a sector that they would interest would interest them. So, what do you think we need to do? Maybe winding the clock back even further, age wise, to to get to tackle that. I guess to tackle the image of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's quite a bit of work that's going into that. Yeah. Um, so there is an organisation called Get Kids Into Survey. Right. And um, I know that some of our people are involved with that and they yeah. tend to be some of our sort of younger women surveyors Good. who are really passionate mm. about other girls mm. following their career path yeah 
and it's great because I mean we've got some really uh, talented young women that work mm. here um, and they're out in the field and they are working on some brilliant jobs of where you know they're out there working on the Houses of Parliament and that kind of thing and they're going into schools and meeting girls in schools and saying look what I do look what my job is mm. um, look at the buildings that I go to yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these are the people that I meet yeah. and being kind of you know that infused about it so you know we're, we're not the only organization that does that there's mm. There are loads. Mm. And um, I think there is a real drive to do more of that yeah, and encourage that kind of, um, well, you know, STEM-based subject as well. Mm. Mm. So I think there's, you know, there's stuff happening on a macro level. And I think, um, you know, there is support from, you know, uh, socially there is the, the support for it. Yeah. But it's up to kind of individual organisations like us as well mm. to... Um, do our bit for the people who are the schools and that who are, who are around us yeah absolutely so, yeah as i said to go back to my earlier point I, th- I think some of this is hopefully this change is coming now we just need to keep it we need to keep it coming and continue to bring more diversity and inclusion into into the construction and property sectors yeah you know there's more kind of you know we sort of got flexible working and that kind mm. of thing which kind of is more kind of appealing i guess to older the older sort of generation but mm. you know you look at the uh Millennials who are going to be making up what seventy five percent of the workforce by about mm. twenty twenty five or something, and yeah, yeah. millennials being, um, you know, they they're going to be what you know 30, 35. Mm. and um, they have a different expectation to what the sort of older generation does. So mm. things need to change there as well. I think undoubtedly, you know, the, the, the people who used to be very successful in in businesses were the ones who, who kind of, you know, worked 60, 70 hours a week and were, were in the pub every day. That's, that's not necessarily what a lot of millennials or even generation below that, that, you know, want anymore and don't aspire to be. They don't, they don't aspire to, you know, that's not a badge of pride for them anymore in terms of, um, you know, how they describe themselves. They, they want to be someone who, who works very hard, but equally, uh, you know, has a life outside of work as well. So, yes. so absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Businesses yeah. and business leaders need to recognise that and, and recognise that the world is changing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there's a new generation that kind of um, works to live yes. rather than that older generation who, who yeah. like you say, uh, live to work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else you think the industry needs to do, Alison, that you've not covered yet before I, uh, I jump onto my more kind of rapid fire questions at the end? Is there anything you think we've not, we've not discussed? Well, I mean, you know, there are a lot of organisations that, that sort of sprung up that are, you know, outside of outside of companies. So you've got companies like uh, organisations like Real Estate Balance that um, promotes gender equality. Okay. You've got BPIC, which is um, Black Professionals in Construction, that kind of promotes equality as well. And these are all organisations that you can partner with um, and they provide guidance in terms of things like recruitment yeah. and mentoring schemes and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, those those comp- those organisations exist. Yes. It's up to businesses to kind of, um, you know, make the most of, of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. No, undoubtedly. I, th- you know, I think so. And like you say, not just, as I said before, not just pay lip service to it, you know, actually, yeah. you know, genuinely want to make that change at a, at yeah. a cultural level. Yeah. Good. Perfect. Alison, unless you've got any more, I'm going to jump onto the kind of rapid fire questions I ask everybody at the end. So, Alison, who's been your best boss and, and why in your career? 
Okay, so I'm going to say his name was Ian House. Yeah. And um, he works now for, he's on the board of Sainsbury's. I used to work in logistics before I was in, um, okay. Obviously, so I used to open distribution centres. And he gave me my first big break when I was about 26. And I was, previously, I was an auditor. Okay. Um, and I was sort of going around different distribution centres. Um, he took me on and gave me a big job opening a distribution centre for Tesco in Thurrock. Right. And um, I was told that it was going to be um, high risk and I, I shouldn't do it. And I didn't have the experience. And he um, said to, he knew I didn't have the experience, but he saw something in me and he took a chance on me and he gave me my big break. And it was career defining for me. And he was supportive and he mentored me and um, he let me make decisions and he let me make mistakes. And I learned a lot from him. Yeah, undoubtedly, I think recognizing talent and pushing talent, and um, I'm I'm a I'm a huge believer, and I bang on all the time about the difference between being time served and and just being good at what you do. And you know, if you're yeah. talented, you know, most businesses should, in my opinion, be meritocracies and should recognize talent and push them through. Yeah, and and and, and make sure that good talent drives you know drives forward in a business. Exactly, take a risk. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And next one is, what's the best piece of career advice you've ever been given or heard? Okay, so that was, so I will credit Amanda Clack with that. And uh, Amanda Clack, she is on the uh, main board of CBRE. She's head okay. of the strategic advisory there. Okay. And she wrote the book, Diversity and inclusion in the real estate sector. Okay. So I met with her when I was um, started my uh, dissertation. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, be the change that you want to see. Okay. And I thought that was a great bit of career advice. Mm. And so, you know, if you want to make a change, to, you make it happen. Yeah, perfect. And what's the worst piece of career advice you ever heard? So that would be going back to when I was 26. Yeah. And I was told by uh, people around me not to take that big job. Right. Because it was a startup and it was high profile and I didn't have the experience and um, everybody was going to be looking at that and people in startups often fail. So I was advised against it and I thankfully ignored it. Good. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a common theme with these, these these questions at the end, but I'm asking people, it's most of the ones who've, who've gone on being successful in their career are the ones who've taken a risk and, and not listened to the naysayers in life. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and then lastly, Alison, what is the best business book you've ever read? Oh, well, that is probably um, the two Daniel Goleman ones recently, which I've read as part of my degree. So I've read, obviously, loads, as you can imagine, in the last couple of years for for my leadership degree. But um, the ones that I employ the most are Daniel Goldman's um, Emotional Intelligence and Mm. The New Leaders, which which made a real impact on me. Brilliant. Yeah, and um, it always makes me think, because I'm a Liverpool fan as well, so I look at Jurgen Klopp Mm. and um, I sort of hold him up as a really great leader and I look at how he's taken... Uh, how he takes players who um, you think, yeah, they're good, but they're mm. not great. And mm. he has turned them into absolute world beaters because of he gets the best out of people. Yeah. And uh, he is very emotionally intelligent. Yeah, 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 yeah. And always smiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> always happy. I see yourself time for everybody as well from obviously the various bits you see about him. Yeah, he's a, yeah. a great, yeah. great example of a good leader. 
Exactly. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and I, you know, I, maybe I'm a bit biased there, but I, <laughs> there can't be many people who disagree with me on that. I don't think. No, no, I wouldn't have thought so. No, no, I think he's, I think he's universally loved, isn't he? I think yeah. whether you're a Liverpool fan or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, look, that's me out of questions, Alison. Is there anything you want to add to, to close with? No, I don't think so. Um, I, you know, I really enjoy uh, listening to your podcasts, and I. Thank uh, you enjoy reading your newsletters and you're really good at kind of looking at what's happening next and uh so yeah all that's really uh helpful to me no thank you no i'm glad i'm glad it i'm glad it gives uh gives service to people or people enjoy it rather so that's good thank you Alison. thank you very much for your time enjoy the rest of your week and uh, it's been good chatting to you yeah, you too thanks a lot paul yeah, cheers bye cheers.